He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis here. We've got one great show for you today. I mean, we we have so much information that you, you, you can't get better information than the 5 o'clock show and in the studio with us, a common sense Democrat, we have uh, Judge Weinberg and a common sense Republican, Craig Eaton, and my sidekick. You love it when I kick you. Oh, my God, my foot hurts. <laughs> uh, we've got a great show for everyone today. You don't want to miss it. It's action-packed. It'll be moving very quickly, so hold on to your seats. we got Ilya Shapiro. We're talking to Dr. Peter Mikolos, Michael Cutler, Mike Dowling, uh, Raphael Manguel, Bert Flickinger. But right now on the line, Professor Alan Adershowitz, a constitutional expert, just a couple of decades at Harvard Law, premier expert when it comes to the Constitution, I read your latest column, uh, Professor Dershowitz. The indictment of Navarro is unconstitutional. How are you, Professor? Maybe the professor hasn't heard what oh, Navarro said. That's a great professor, idea. Listen to what Navarro has said today. Illegal aliens, everything from illegal aliens to Al Qaeda terrorists were treated better yeah. than I was that day. I get to the jail cell, and it's like leg irons, handcuffs, strip search, no food. No water, no access to anything, solitary confinement. And that's just like, I think it to myself, this this feels like Stalinist Russia or Mao Zedong, Xi Jinping, China. Professor, your reaction? He's 100 percent right. There's absolutely no reason for not simply giving him a summons or calling him and saying, please appear um, eight o'clock in the morning, nine o'clock in the morning in front of the magistrate judge. That's what's happened in every one of my cases involving defendants like that. This was simply an attempt to punish uh, before trial, and it was cruel and unusual punishment. The idea that a man like that needs to be handcuffed and put in leg irons and told that he's in John Hinckley's cell. It's just, I'm so shocked and surprised at Merrick Garland if he knew about this, because I've always thought very highly of Garland. I thought he would be a great Supreme Court justice, but to to accept and be in charge of a prosecution like this, which which is so clearly unconstitutional. Let me explain why it's unconstitutional. We'll put it this way. Let's assume I got a subpoena tomorrow saying you were um, a lawyer in the United States Senate for the Constitution on behalf of President Trump. We want to subpoena you and ask you about every conversation you ever had with President Trump. I would, of course, say, no way. Lawyer-client privilege. Or what if his priest or minister got uh, such a subpoena? Or what if his um, medical doctor got such a subpoena? Or his wife did? All of us have privileges. And Congress can't bypass those privileges. In order to get somebody to testify over a claim of privilege, Congress has to go to court and ask a court to resolve this. If a court then says you have no legitimate privilege, you have to answer the question, you're ordered to answer the question, then he could be held in contempt of court or indicted. But without a court intervening, there is no basis for an indictment. It's a violation of the separation of then powers, who, checks and balances. Who should we call upon to, to be uh, uh, you know, prosecuted for doing such a thing to a person that was assistant to the president. Well, we first of all, we have to raise our voices 
about it loudly. We can't go to the Justice Department, obviously, because this is the Justice Department who did this. Uh, the Justice Department is above the law in that respect. What they did was utterly lawless. The very fact of indictment was lawless. But then what they did to him in jail was utterly lawless. So where do you go? You can't they, go st- Congress, they stuck it up his behind. Congress, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, in more ways than one. Maybe you could go to the Supreme Court, but that will take time. And you can't say, well, he should answer talking, the question, right. and maybe. Talking yeah, about the ahead. Supreme Court, you, you got me probably pro- where I'm angry. That that couple that was defending their home. In St. Louis. In St. Louis. The Supreme Court refused to hear it. They took away their licenses for for protecting their home. Their law licenses. Yeah. Professor Dershowitz, yeah, no. so that's incredible. <laughs> Especially when you think about what happened in New York where a bunch of lawyers – uh, through um, Molotov cocktails or Molotov mm-hmm. cocktails. And they get a sweetheart deal. So far. Yeah, they get a sweetheart but, deal. You know, the law can't be the law if it recognizes faces. The Bible says, lo takir panim. It says, do not recognize faces. That's even more important for a judge than don't take bribes. You can't recognize faces, races, religions, partisan affiliation when you're doing justice. That's why the statute of justice is supposed to have a blindfold, but That's today right. everybody is peeking beneath the blindfold to see the race, the gender, and, and the it color. Shouldn't, the, it, shouldn't also, yeah. it shouldn't also relate to relationships. It seems like anyone that has a relationship with President Trump That's right. gets treated with utter disrespect and embarrassment. Look at Roger Stone. When they, when yeah. they picked him up, they could have just called him. They could have called his attorney. But, no, they come with helicopters and boats. And, and a camera crew and, from and, CNN. And, and, yeah. and, you know, and the SWAT team. I mean, it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. I mean, yeah, like, no, go I'm back to Peter Navarro. They should have given him a ticket, a, like you said. Yeah, I, I'm expecting a knock on my door oh, uh, uh, with a subpoena. Uh, after all, uh, I had a relationship with with the president. I advised him on camp, uh, uh, on, on the Abraham Accords. I advised him on uh, Jerusalem. I advised him, obviously, well, on the Constitution. Yeah. Alan, and they could come you, after me. Alan, if you don't have fair and impartial justice, it's the beginning of destruction of this of, country. Of our country. Of this of country. Of whole country. Well, we talk because, even about Elon that. Musk. That's why I think he's even kind of uh, hesitating about the Twitter deal, because all of a sudden a woman came out and said, oh, he did this to me. He did that to me. It's like you see the campaign and, as and, soon as you go. And, and his net worth has gone down $70 billion because <laughs> the stock <laughs> was uh, was at 1100 It's down to 70, 700 I mean. All yeah, because his yeah. views went a little right. Tesla under attack. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't even see his views going right. I see them centrist, yes, civil libertarian. Today, being a civil libertarian like me portrays you in the media as right wing. I'm, you know, I'm a liberal, uh, and 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 yet my associations with President Trump, trying to help on Israel, have gotten me completely canceled in so many places. I could never get another uh, graduation. And speech I, I ran as a Republican liberal. For 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 uh, mayor, I ran as a Republican liberal because I yeah, believe yeah. in helping up, oh, you know the the uh, the poor and the uh, underprivileged. But meanwhile, if you're pro Palestinian, if you're pro terrorist, nobody has a problem with that. Well, there was a great cartoon when Larry Summers essentially got fired as president of Harvard. They ran a cartoon, I think, in the Globe, which had him on his hands and knees begging for his job back on the the board of harvard saying you misunderstood i didn't say women aren't good at math i said 
Israel is a genocidal state. Now can I have my job back? <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, it's just so true on college campuses today. You know, we know about Georgetown University. I think you're having uh, somebody from there on. We're having uh, Ilya Shapiro on later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that, that's also a scandal, an academic scandal. By the way, do you think uh, Shapiro is, is correct that there's now a hostile work environment at Georgetown Law School? Does he have a good Without claim a on that? Without a doubt. I think there's a hostile work environment in many, many universities. City College in York, uh, City University Law School, they all have hostile environments. If you in any way support Israel, if you're a Zionist, and you can be a Christian Zionist, a Muslim Zionist, uh, you're going to be subject to a hostile environment. They say people have to have safe spaces. Nobody has the right to have a safe space for their ideas, but you have a right to have a safe space from physical intimidation from threatening to lose your job. I think he's 100% right. Georgetown University, uh, many, many other universities today have hostile environments. And if the same words were spoken and you just put the shoe on the other foot, you would see the results would be completely different. Everything depends on who you defend and who you attack and who you are and what you're Whatever happened to the whole outrage about McCarthyism in the 50s? Well, <laughs> on is the... January 6th committee, the new McCarthyism, is it the new House Un-American Activities Committee? And I think it is. I think we're seeing a return to McCarthyism uh, by the hard left and including now with the January 6th committee by some people who regard themselves as somewhat centrist uh, Democrats. I mean, the composition of the committee was completely rigged. The idea that they would recommend indictments against people who didn't comply with their subpoenas, many times unlawful subpoenas. I think we're seeing a new McCarthyism, and we have to fight back. And it's important that liberal Democrats like me, civil libertarians, take the lead in fighting back. It's easy, you know, for for uh, conservatives to fight back against liberals, but liberals should take the lead in fighting against the extremism of the left, just the way conservatives want to take the lead in fighting against the extremism of the hard, hard right. Well, it's it's we're we're at a crossing roads where mm-hmm. our country has to to survive. We have to have justice in America, justice for all, like you said. Whether we can't have this two tier justice system, one for. Radical left. I mean, we're seeing what's happening with the January 6th committee, right? They want to broadcast it. They want to change the narrative. And yet the riots, billions upon billions. You mentioned before the two lawyers who threw a Molotov cocktail into a a police van with police officers. And yet where are we broadcasting those uh, trials? But yet the January 6th committee, which was largely not, you know, not as it wasn't. I mean, nobody was killed except for the woman that they killed. But look at look at what's happening. I've been practicing law now for 35 years. The Department of Justice was the pristine entity in the federal government. And now today, in the last five years, it's so partisan. It's so partisan what they're doing. Well, I think it goes back even a little further than that. I think the Obama Justice Department was pretty partisan. Okay. Okay. Look, look, uh, John Kennedy's Justice Department was not without partisanism, appointing his own brother. Of course, legislation then changed that. You cannot any longer as a president appoint a relative to a cabinet position. But back in the day, they did. Unbelievable. to restore the Justice Department to its status as an intermediary, not you know, they, they don't work for a particular party. They work for the people of the United States. Professor, uh, we have to go. 
Uh, we got some breaking news coming in from uh, London, and we'll talk to you again uh, real soon. Love uh, to do it. Thanks. Be well. Nigel Farage. I mean, does Nigel need any kind of introduction? The Nigel Farage, a world-renowned. The, 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 what, he host? was the uh, father of Brexit. Brexit. That's correct. He's a brilliant mother man. Mother of Brexit or father of Brexit? He's a father of Brexit. Brilliant. So, Nigel, what's what what it's on your mind? Sorry. Um, Nigel Farage, I know you wanted to talk about Boris Johnson. I mean, that was yeah, incredible. Well, he escaped with his... his uh... yeah, very, very dramatic events politically here in the last 48 hours. Um, the serving Prime Minister of the UK, Boris Johnson, faced a motion of confidence vote amongst his own members of Parliament. Now, there are 359 Conservative members of Parliament, and 148 of them, 41% of them, voted for him to resign. Now, okay, he got a majority, but when you think that a third of that number, nearly 140 of that number, are ministers, they're on the government payroll, and on the basis that generally turkeys don't vote for Christmas, it shows you there is a massive rebellion against Johnson going on inside the Conservative Parliamentary Party, and I think out within the country as a whole, um, we now have a Prime Minister who has lost nearly a third, nearly over 30% of his voters from 2019 now think he should resign. So we have a dramatic crisis of conservatism in the United Kingdom from a Prime Minister who many now call a liar. Uh, and this is a very, very strong word. I mean, the English don't use words like that very, very freely. You guys are very proper people. Nigel Farage, it kind of goes with the conversation we were just having about this two-tier justice system where people that are conservative are treated one way and people that are radical left, they're just given a pass. I mean, Peter Navarro was put in leg irons and strip searched. I simply could not believe that when I heard about Peter earlier. Um, and one does wonder, you know, about the independence of the, of the legal services, the judiciary, the FBI. I found that incredible. But in this case... In for this for case, the FBI to, to, to allow it, you know, the head of the FBI should, should, should say, no way, this guy doesn't deserve it. Somebody has to, somebody has to stand up for justice. Well, I mean, all of us, of course, should be treated equally before the law, whatever we do. And there is massive prejudice against conservatives through the judiciary, through the education system. Uh, I mean, everywhere you look, social media, and we know this. But, but our problem in this country is that it's the leader of our conservative movement that is bringing the movement into disrepute. So it's a slightly different situation here. Well, wait, wait, Nigel, what else is going on in uh, in London? You had the Queen's Jubilee, and well, Prince Louis was adorable. <laughs> well, let me just tell you that politically we may be in chaos, and the pound sterling falling sharply against other global currencies. So we've got our problems. We, we have our own problems in the United States. Oh, so. I know, I know, I know. But we've just finished the most magnificent four-day Platinum Jubilee, Platinum being the number 70. Queen Elizabeth II has been on the throne for 70 years, and we've just had Is that a, first? a massive weekend of celebrations, commemorations, taking place all over the country and 
all over the Commonwealth as well. There are 54 countries in the world who are part of this Commonwealth, and I was honoured on Thursday to attend the Queen's Troop in Colour, um, this incredible military parade that took place on horse guards just down from Buckingham Palace. I then went down to the palace. Um, I was actually close to the Queen when she appeared on the balcony. Wow. Um, I've never seen crowds in London like it. Uh, we went on on the Friday to a big commemorative service. On Saturday, huge concert took place with America's Diana Ross being one of the great stars that attended. And then on Sunday, we had 16,000 authorised street parties that took place, 15 million people attending these official parties to celebrate the Queen, um, a pageant parade through London. Uh, again, vast numbers of people cramming every street in central London. And once again, the Queen appearing Nigel, on the balcony. last question. And Ready? It, it, it's just been You've incredible. been talking about shortages of food and fuel in the Euro- European community. Uh, give us a quickie on it. We have another minute before we have to take a break. Well, the European community has nothing when it comes to our Queen and our independence. They're in a mess. They're split. They're divided. They're still paying a billion euros a day to Putin for his oil. Um, and we're well out of it. We're delighted to be out of it. And as I say, we may have our problems, but we're still a great country. And, we, and we're so lucky, lucky to have the Queen, who is magnificent. Beautiful. Is there any energy shortage that you see coming? I understand that uh, President Biden has made a deal with Venezuela and uh, shipping extra energy from Venezuela or extra gasoline. The only question was, I, I couldn't get it answered by anybody, if Russia is getting a commission on that. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me. But look, America should be self-sufficient in energy, as should the United Kingdom. President Trump made America self-sufficient. Joe Biden has taken that privilege away and left you exposed to Venezuela and other countries. It all goes to show the Democrats, the globalists are wrong and every crisis in the world proves it. Well, thank you so much, Nigel Farage. I'm actually jealous. As I watched the Jubilee, I said, I don't remember the last time Americans came together um, so beautifully in unity. The last time I saw so many people out in the streets was during the riots of uh, during BLM. It was nice to see Prince (laughs) Harry and Meghan there as well. I don't, I'm not uh, a yes. fan of Megan fan. Yes, they were there, but they were demoted to second division. Ooh. And demoted because, you know, they've walked away as working royals. Um, they want to keep the titles and all the privileges, but not do the work. And the Queen made sure they were demoted and they were not on the balcony in front of the sharing. Well, I enjoyed that. Prince Louis. Adorable. Thank you so much, Nigel Farage. Thank you. We have to... Go to our next guest, Bert Flickinger, on the line. Where we want to talk to Bert about an expert in consumers, and a, I understand that uh, the consumers are going to lose again. Tell us how the consumer is losing, John and Lydia. Shrinkflation, which is shrinking the size of the package and charging more for it, it's unprecedented price gouging of the American consumer. So the package sizes are shrinking by twenty. 5 to 35% while the prices are going up 15 to 20%. Bert, is my Milky Way getting smaller and smaller? Judge Weinberg, <laughs> your Milky Way's get, getting smaller, your box of cereals get, 
getting smaller, your package of coffees getting smaller. Do I get at least one Oreo cookie in a box? You know they went woke. Burger King and Oreos went woke. I mean, what can we say? They, it's I'm everything shrinking. Oreos. I'm shorting Oreos. Everybody's gay pride. We, we still had three Milanos in the package that we all just ate. But they probably, good. I think they're not as much chocolate in there. But, but you know what? I noticed a few years ago, cans of soda yes. started to shrink. And, and that was the first sign. I looked at it and I said, this is a smaller can of soda. Good yeah, health the mechanism. The went to the 1.5 liter and it's going down to the 1.25 Leader, this this is the Federal Trade Commission allowing oligopolies of Orwellian proportions and screwing the American shoppers and lowering the standard of living to nothing like we this country's seen since the Great Depression of the 1930s. And we're almost there and will be there in a few years where 50 to 60 percent of the American people cannot afford to live day-to-day, uh, mortgage delinquencies are at a record high, evictions from apartments are a record high, and uh, the nutri- uh, nutrition crisis is uh, unprecedented proportions. And the worst lawyers in the country work for the Federal Trade Commission because they're letting the greedy corporations uh, get away with it, and they're strip-mining America and strip-mining uh, uh, Wait, wait, aren't worldwide. the worst lawyers working for Department of Justice because they <laughs> they, they allowing that a guy, the assistant to the president, Peter Navarro, to to be strip searched, uh, handcuffed, uh, in shackles, solitary confinement. They denied him food and, and, and water. I mean, and and, and the, the Federal Trade Commission that started this crisis. Is part of the Department of Justice that's been asleep at the switch reenacting the Rip Van Winkle tales for the last 25 years. Wow. Um, Bert, Bert Flickinger, it, 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 at, what, it, it, at what point, I was listening to Janet Yellen today as she was being, she, I guess she was testifying, and she said the Biden administration has done all they can to ease inflation and that she does admit that maybe perhaps transitory wasn't the right word to use. I'm watching her testify. I said, my God, we're in, we're in big trouble. Things are actually going to get worse. What do you think? Lydia, Janet Yellen epitomizes uh, Einstein's definition of insanity. We remember almost 15 years, more than 15 years ago in 2006, seven, she said she knew the financial crisis was coming, but she didn't want to say anything to get people upset. She should have been sacked in 2008. And the fact that she's continued on in a, in a prime decision-making position for 15 more years is just absurd. Uh, she and Ben Bernanke and, and uh, uh, a number number of others, uh, Mohammed Alarian, should have all been sacked and disgraced uh, for their role in the financial Bert, crisis the first time. Is it fair to say nothing succeeds like failure? <laughs> Judge, you're completely correct in uh, failure succeeding with Janet Yellen to Lydia's present point. And uh, these pe- these people who are academicians who have no John Casvetidis and team experience in real life uh, with common sense, working with the people on the street, working from the ground up as John's done, stocking shelves, running the register, taking care of customers, all these people have started as high-paid, high-paid, overpriced lawyers, 
and they've been cr- crushing and compromising the country, and it uh, goes to both parties. There's There's been no course correction for decades. There's a time for change, and hopefully there will be in 2022 and 2024. And John's right in energy. Demand is going to increase 30% during this decade. Supply is only going to increase 20%. So as bad as the inflation is, Lydia, that you, John, and the judge have been so presciently pointing out, as bad as it is today, it's going to keep getting incrementally worse for the next eight years uh, because uh, we're running dry on all forms of energy and there's no corrective action being taken in the strategic solutions in the United States and elsewhere, and it's being ignored. Well, thank you so much, Bert Flickinger. It was astounding to me to see those political leaders almost brag about how high the gas prices are, but it doesn't affect them, ha, 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 because they have electric cars. Meanwhile, most Americans continue to suffer. Thank you so much, Bert Flickinger, for all of your wise words. Taxpayer-paid limousines and drivers so they don't have to fill up their own tank. And their corporate jets exempt from uh, any kind of oversight. But thank you so much. You know what what the 747 burns? Right now, jet fuel is uh, uh, almost $8, $9 a gallon. And I guess it burns like 5,000 or 4,000 gallons an hour. It's only 36000 an hour. What's his name? Frankenstein. Why am I thinking of John Kerry? You know? <laughs> no, John Kerry only has a, a, G, a G5 or G6. Oh, just a G. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's take a break. <laughs> and when we come back, uh, we have a lot of uh, interesting We're going to be talking about immigration. We're going to be talking about Ukraine. We'll be talking about cancel culture. Keep it right here. Cats at Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Common Sense Recap of the Day's Biggest Stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katsimatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line for us, we have Raphael Manguel of the Manhattan Institute. And uh, Raphael, we wanted to talk to you about the Supreme Court decision that could possibly be coming down regarding the Second Amendment, specifically open carry right here in New York State. Tell us what you know and what is the latest. Well, sure. And the, the case involves not necessarily open carry, uh, more likely concealed carry. So it, it's a case okay, that you. started when when plaintiffs uh, petitioned uh, uh, their local jurisdiction for the right to carry a firearm outside of their home. Of course, we know since the Heller decision came down in 2008, followed by the, the McDonald decision in 2010, it's been settled law that, that no state, no jurisdiction can deny somebody the right to have a gun in their home. This case raises the question of whether that right extends beyond the home, which is actually where you're more likely to encounter the sort of um, uh, self-defense scenario that that would justify deadly force. Um, So what this case asks is, does the Constitution require New York to provide people some avenue uh, to carry a firearm, whether that's open carry or concealed carry is likely going to be left up to the state. 
but the, the permit that the petitioners were, were, were asking for were concealed carry permits, which is Rafael, likely Rafael, going to be the mechanism if they decide. Raphael, the, the, that couple that protected their home in St. Louis, are you shocked that the, that the Supreme Court won't hear their case? No, no. I mean, the Supreme Court gets an enormous amount of of uh, petitions for for redress. I mean, you know, they're they can only take but so many. Usually, one of the things that they look for is a, a what's called a circuit split, where you know our, our courts of appeals are, are spread out into eleven circuits, and so if you have half the country's appellate courts sort of uh, adopting one uh, uh, approach to a constitutional question and the other half of adopting a different approach, the Supreme Court's more likely to step in, which is exactly sort of what we saw here, right? So the Seventh Circuit out in uh, Illinois decided that the Constitution does uh, require people uh, to be granted the right to carry a firearm outside the House. The Second Circuit here in New York says no. Um, same with the Ninth Circuit. However, the Fifth Circuit says yes. So uh, there, there's a lot of disagreement here in the federal court system, which is why I think we're seeing the Supreme Court weigh in. Um, but it's also important to remember that this this case is being heard after several petitions along these lines were denied in years past. So, you know, it does take a while for, for cases to make their way before a court like the Supreme Court, which, which as I Raphael, said, has a, a lot on its plate. It's, a, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. What do you think the implications are for the safety of the average citizen in New York if the New York law is overturned? I don't think they'll be particularly pronounced uh, at all. So there's actually been a lot of uh, econometric research done on this question to try and suss out what the causal impact are uh, is going to be of expanding uh, gun carriage rights. So, you know, uh, lots of other states have either adopted constitutional carry um, rules where you don't even have to get a permit in order to carry a firearm outside the house. Other states or other jurisdictions have adopted shall issue regimes, which is um, what I think the result will be here in New York if the Supreme Court decides the way that I, I think it will basically means that anyone who's eligible to have a firearm in the home, uh, if they decide to apply for a carry permit, they will have to be granted that permit unless there's some kind of disqualifying factor. Raphael, just, uh, to, reason- sorry, just to clear up something, because sure. we do have to go to the next guest shortly. So the new laws that Governor Hochul put in that uh, regarding gun rights, uh, you know, she's making it harder for, you know, an 18-year-old now can't get an AR-15. Can you put people's uh, minds at ease? Because I think there is some confusion. I heard some people saying, oh, my God, the gun I have now is illegal. And now the government is going to come to my home and take away my gun. So can you just kind of summarize very quickly, I guess, what does Hochul's, Would they be grandfathered in? Yeah, would they be grandfathered, grandfathered in? And what does that actually mean for all New Yorkers, the, the strengthening of the gun of the gun bill that Hochul just did? Right. So, so my understanding is, is, is any firearms that are going to be restricted through new legislation, uh, that the firearms that were owned before that are going to be grandfathered in. I think one of the biggest things here is they're going to raise the age to 21, um, which, you know, is, is uh, it, it's better. It's, it's better. But why would a 21 year old have a right to an assault weapon? That, that's what I don't understand. Why Why are we giving 21-year-olds rights to assault weapons? I know. You can't buy a beer. Yeah, you can't buy a beer. In Texas, someone had, earlier on the show said, in Texas, you can't you can't buy a beer, but now you can buy an assault rifle. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, I, I think we have to sort of take a step back and understand how we define the term assault weapon. You know, uh, these rifles are, are generally categorized the way they are because of cosmetic features that don't actually have any effect on the lethality of the weapon. 
So, you know, uh, the, the deadliness of a weapon is going to be determined by the caliber of the bullet and sort of the length of the barrel, which is going to determine the force with which uh, um, the projectile makes an impact. Uh, you know, so if you have, uh, a, you know, a, a hunting rifle that is semi-automatic, that, you know, that fires two, two, three caliber rounds and an AR-15 that fires two, two, three caliber rounds in the same barrel length, one is not deadlier than the other. The AR-15 is easier to shoot, easier to handle, more ergonomic. Um, that's sort of what makes it uh, an assault weapon. The, the reason why we didn't see 21 kind of come in as the age for people to have access to these weapons was that it was largely thought that if you're trying to stop crime, what you really had to focus on were handguns because those were concealable. And I think that's still true. What we do see with these mass shootings is that people who have no intention of actually getting away with the crime or walking away from it, um, they're not really worried about concealability. Understood. But, but concealability has always been the, the sort of, uh, you know, a primary factor taken into consideration when making these age requirements. Understood. Rafael Manguel, thank you so much. From Manhattan Institute, thank you for uh, all the information that you give all Americans, and God bless you, and, uh, and uh, thank you, and we'll have you again. Now on the line for us, a quite a treat, we have Michael Dowling. He's the president and chief executive officer of Northwell Health, and he's got the most adorable Irish brogue from Limerick. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. I'm not always referred to as having an, an adorable brogue. That's great. <laughs> So tell us, yeah. you did some great work regarding Ukraine. They need they, you know, it, we keep talking about our issues here at home, but there is still a crisis going on. There is a war going on. Uh, yes, and I think uh, we we do, we all have a responsibility to do everything we possibly can uh, to try to make life better for people in difficult circumstances like that, and that's a horrific circumstance. And I think healthcare organizations have a specific obligation. Uh, so at Northwell, we have a global health uh, uh, department where we are actually involved in a lot of mission work in multiple countries. Uh, we do work in Guyana, in Haiti, in Jamaica, in South Africa, etc. All focused on trying to improve the lives of people. So uh, when the Ukraine situation occurred, uh, one of the first things we did way back at the very beginning was that uh, we sent a plane load of supplies. Uh, our first uh, installment was about 18,000 pounds of supplies we sent to the Ukraine. Um, uh, and this is something we have done in, for other countries in the past. But then the question becomes, what else can you be doing to help, uh, from a healthcare point of view, people in terrible, dire circumstances? So. One of the things that our staff has done is to use telemedicine. Now, a lot of discussion is held regularly about the use of telemedicine. Uh, we use it in every healthcare organization in the U.S. to varying degrees. But the question is, can you use it overseas in situations like Ukraine? So through our global health group uh, and working with our telemedicine staff, they figured out a way to be able to connect with hospitals in the Ukraine um, so that the doctors and the nurses in the Ukraine can, uh, using telemedicine, connect with our staff here, uh, show the images of injuries, um, and show the medical, direct, the medical diagnosis of uh, people that have been in horrific circumstance, and then have our doctors here help them um, figure out what to do or provide second opinion advice. So right now we have a relationship with eight hospitals in the Ukraine. 
and I've actually observed some of these. And the doctors over there will get on the will get on the screen. Our doctors will be in connection here, and they will show the images of a facial injury, for example. Most of the injuries are facial or legs and hands. And they'll show the image of a facial injury, and they'll get the advice from our physicians as to what our guys think should be done and when it should be done. So it's a form of a second opinion. Um, it, you know, you can always send physicians and send nurses to the Ukraine. But using telemedicine, we can make available all of the tech, all of the talent that we have here. We can make it available to people in the Ukraine who are dealing with these terrible injuries. So, for example, um, the, the areas that we've been working on with them is on facial surgery, um, on orthopedic trauma, uh, pediatric trauma, uh, stroke, infections. And it's fascinating. As far as I know, we're about the only ones that I'm aware of that is actually doing this. Um, our staff uh, are available 24-7, round the clock, to the medical staff in those eight hospitals in the Ukraine. And um, uh, they're unbelievably happy. I, I watched one um, arrangement, one connection that was made a couple of days ago, and the person on the Ukraine said, I'm so happy, all I can do now is just cry uh, because I see that we can get uh, this kind of assistance that's not available to us locally. We can get it internationally through Northwell. So, Dowling, uh, uh, you're uh, saving a lot of lives. You're saving Northwell and Michael Dowling, you're saving a lot of lives in the Ukraine. And, and that is God's work. You know? Well, it's the, it's the right thing to do. Uh, we have the ability to do it. Uh, it's a lot more efficient than trying to send people over there, which is very, very difficult anyway. And you don't get the same bang for the buck as you would by making available people using the technology. And this is a wonderful advance and advantage of the technology that we all have these days. Um, um, so it's a very if WABC thing. can help you in any way, raise more money to send to the Ukraine, you let us know. I will do that. Uh, thank you very, very much. And uh, we're delighted to be doing this. And I thank you for covering it. Oh, thank you, Michael Dowling, uh, the CEO of Northwell Hospitals. And you do God's work. And uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. All right, John. Thank you so much. Sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. And we have to go to break. They're telling me from the... Con- Okay, so when we come back, we'll speak to Michael Cutler. We're going to talk about the border. There is a huge caravan on the way. What does that mean for Americans? Keep it right here. Cats at Night. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. Now back on Cats at Night, Michael Cutler. He's a retired senior special agent of the former Immigration and Naturalization Service. And he has a lot to say when it comes. He wrote a great article about the migrant caravan in Mexico heads for U.S. border as America summit starts. I mean, this is what how big is this caravan, Michael Cutler? And what does this mean for the United States? Well, it's, it's a very big caravan. And the first thing that struck me, you know, I'm first-generation American. Uh, my first wife, may she rest in peace, died in, uh, decades ago to cancer at a very young age. Her parents were refugees. They were in the Holocaust. And they waited in Italy until, I think, 1948, three years after the war to come to America. We basically had to remain in Italy policy. Think about that. 
When Trump implemented the Remain in Mexico policy, it was done for the same reason. We want to know who we're letting in, and we can't allow the entire world to come here. We have limited resources. I compare our situation to a lifeboat. Imagine being in a lifeboat in frigid, shark-infested waters, but the boat is pretty much close to capacity, and there's lots of people in the water. Bad as you feel for them, if you let them on the boat, the boat's going down and no one's going to survive. We have been the most generous country in the world forever. We admit more than a million lawful immigrants every year, put them on the path to citizenship immediately, more than the rest of the world combined. But you have people heading for the American border, the northern border of Mexico, chanting, no one's going to stop us. No humility. No, please let us in. No, we're going to tell you we're coming in, and you better comply or else. Among them, certainly people who are economic refugees, but economic refugees don't qualify for political asylum. You also have criminals and terrorists. And as the Border Patrol is turning into concierge service, they're not securing the border. We have record quantities of fentanyl flowing across the border. And I, and I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago for Front Page Magazine. I hope everyone will check it out. I've got a new one coming. This one's really going to blow your mind. The Board of Health is now explaining how to use illegal drugs safely. You won't believe my latest article. It should be out in a day or well, two. Well, yeah, they but, have it in but, New York City subways. They have ads saying that it's it's uh, it's, it's safe it's or whatever. I mean, but, it's but insane. You, um, you know, Michael, Craig, you had a question. Way, I, Michael, this, I this, is, this is something that's been going on for months. Drug task force. But the article that I wrote that we should really focus on, Title 42 and Chaos on the Border, and my subtitle was Mayorkas is not America's guardian as the head of Homeland Security. He's its innkeeper because the non-government organizations are being paid by the head as they come across the border. And what was outrageous, and Judicial Watch wrote an article about it that became the preface for my piece. Uh, and there was an inspector general report that the administration, the, the Biden administration, had provided $17 million to an organization for beds that were never used, and that outfit got over a $500 million no-competitive-bid no contract, even though they're new to the game. And you say, well, how could that happen? Why would it happen? Well, what Judicial Watch found was that a former employee of the Biden administration who was part of the transition team, quit government, went to work for this outfit, and shortly thereafter, they got a $500 million-plus no bid contract. So as more and more aliens come here, it undermines national security. It impacts our environment. Think about the drought across the West. That's why I wrote a piece a while back where I said, if you're going to have a massive immigration bill, have an environmental impact study. Michael Cutler, I mean, as in the words of Barack Obama, this is simply not sustainable. But but our borders borders are open, Michael. Our borders are open to anyone right now. And this yeah. has been going on for months. They've been sneaking people in on planes into Long Island and Westchester for months now. And, they're still we, doing and we're not screening these people. We don't know if they have no. COVID, if they're terrorists. Monkeypox. I mean, if they're bringing drugs in, fentanyl with them. I mean, this is a disgrace what this country has turned into. It is. And, I, and, and by the way, most of the mainstream media, even some of the conservative stations will say, oh, you're anti-immigrant if you, and you're pro-immigrant if you want chaos on the border. We're you know, being invaded. We are invaded. being invaded. There's an invasion going on, yes. and, and our, nobody's absolutely. doing about it. Uh, you know, remember the Alamo. Where, where, where's the Texas? Uh, you know, somebody has to do something about it. Well, and you have our own president of the United States not only just allowing it, but aiding and abetting it. This Which, is a, Judge, Judge this Weinberg. Is, this is a you total know, abdication of responsibility of the Biden administration. It's beyond that. It's beyond that. Go to Title Four, Article Section Four of the Constitution. 
that the states is to be protected against invasion and be pro- protected against domestic violence. And, and let, let, maybe let's let, let's uh, the, the Senate bring charges against Homeland Security uh, director for not protecting our borders and let him say, well, the president told me so. Right. Dereliction of duty at the very least. Thank right. you so much, Somebody Michael Cutler. Somebody has to admit what's going on. We have to go. We have an action-packed show. Thank you so much, Michael Cutler. Um, thank you for having thank me. Thank you so much. And uh, now next on the line, we have Ilya Shapiro. Um, Ilya, you are on the front pages of many, many publications. You've been on Cats a Night before. Tell us what happened, Georgetown, the whole story. Yeah, yesterday I resigned as executive director of the Georgetown Center for the Constitution. Um, After they reinstated me on Thursday, they had a four-month investigation into a tweet that provoked controversy uh, I was accused of being a racist and misogynist and with respect like for criticizing President Biden's uh, a restriction of his candidate pool for Supreme Court justice by race and sex. And away we went. And there was this four days of hell far, followed by four days of purgatory that I experienced. I was reinstated not because of Georgetown's vaunted free expression policy, but because it turns out someone finally looked at a calendar and saw that I had not been an employee when I tweeted. It took them four months to find that out. Uh, But uh, when I got the report from the diversity bureaucrats, it became clear that this was an untenable position. The next time I said anything that offended someone or made them feel, quote, uncomfortable, that would create a hostile educational environment. And and I'd be disciplined. So there you go. It's Judge Weinberg, and we spoke before. We had Alan Dershowitz on the uh show a little while ago and he said very he said very clearly he agreed that you're absolutely correct georgetown is subjecting you to a hostile work environment and just to be clear what the tweet was all he said was the two qualifications i'm summarizing it for a supreme court justice should not just be somebody's race or if they're a man or woman and you apologize i mean my god Um, yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, ironically, I was being called a racist and misogynist for criticizing, considering somebody's race and sex when hiring them. I mean, shouldn't there be more to hiring than just race or sex? What about I think, qualifications? I think it's offensive. I think it's offensive if somebody says, oh, you got the job because you're a woman. I want to get it because I was the best person for the job. We're yeah, on a ta- we're in yeah, a, we're but, on but, a ta- but even But even more than that, you know, Georgetown and, and the law school's dean, William Trainer, you know, talks about their commitment to freedom of expression, but uh, you're free to say whatever you want as long as it doesn't offend someone. That's not, that's not any sort of commitment to freedom. And uh, this proliferation of uh, diversity, equity, uh, inclusion, DEI programs that actually subvert intellectual diversity, prevent uh, equal opportunity, and uh, exclude those with dissenting voices. It's a huge irony. It's a huge problem. The rot in academia, and especially Georgetown, is profound, and I found it to be an untenable situation. And I was not going to either walk on eggshells trying to not inadvertently offend someone, nor be subject to the second shoe dropping, you know, a month from now, two months from now, when I'm criticizing the Supreme Court or lauding its opinions on abortion or guns or affirmative action. So I had to get out of there, and uh, I'm on to better, bigger, bigger and better things, but I'm trying to use this opportunity to uh, get the word out that this is something that people need to pay attention to. The, uh, uh, a culture broadly, academia specifically, the commitment to civil discourse and intellectual diversity um, has to be there. Otherwise, 
Michael uh, Cutler, just, they're um, forcing us. Oh, Ilya, Ilya, Ilya Shapiro. Ilya Shapiro, they're forcing us to take a break. Thank you, and we'll talk more again. And, uh, anything next we days. can do for you again at, here at Cats and Night WABC Radio, let us and, know. And stay tuned for Dr. Michalos after the break, and he's going to be talking about is there a cure for cancer? Let's go to break. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidis Cats at Night show. Is there a cure for a specific type of cancer? Incredible results from a Memorial Sloan Kettering study. Dr. Peter Mikolos, our resident medical genius, tell us about the incredible results of what happens. Well, quite amazingly, in the last uh, week we heard from the New England Journal of Medicine, one of the most prestigious journals, and the last June meeting of the National Society of Oncologists, that 14 patients that had rectal cancer, that had a specific gene mutation type of rectal cancer, they were completely cured with just immune therapy without surgery, radiation, or conventional chemotherapy. And basically, these are called checkpoints inhibitors. And 14 patients were in the study, and they were all cured of their rectal cancer. The drug is called dosteralimab, uh, and the brand name is Jim Parley, and uh, these people didn't have any uh, chemo. They had the rectal cancer that hadn't spread yet, and they did this uh, intravenous uh, therapy over a several-month period. Would this drug work on other cancers, uh, Doctor? Well, that's the whole thing. They're going to be testing it now on other uh, colon cancers, and the, the beauty of it is now that we've identified and uh, broken down our DNA, and when you biopsy a tumor now, you're going to have it uh, analyzed to see what the genetic blueprint of your specific tumor is so you can make therapies to target. At Columbia University right here in New York, they're working on immune therapies, are researching ways to boost our immune system so that it targets, destroys, and attacks cancer cells. And the same thing with some of these new vaccines uh, that we're going to see coming out where they basically take a sample of the tumor and make vaccines that will tell our immune system and our T-cells go after this specific type of uh, cell. So it is gonna, it is being used in certain metastatic and cancers. D- Dr. Mikolos, I want to get another thing. Terpeptide, ter- ter- uh, Monjaro, that new... Absolutely. Tell and us nine, about this, this medication. Yes, tell us about yes, it. It's an injectable weekly dose of a new drug to Zepatide, and it's sold under the name uh, Munjaro. And basically, non-diabetics lost 35 to 52 pounds with a weekly dose of this drug. And the diabetic patients lost about 15% of their body weight. And for the non-diabetics, it was dramatic. And uh, basically, 40% of the people lost a quarter of their body weight. And again, this is relatively new, so we have to see what type of side effects. There were some issues with you know, diarrhea, nausea, and you can't use it if you have a history of thyroid cancer in your family. But the results are dramatic for people who are obese because these people not only... And they didn't only change did they their diet the or exercise. This was just They actually so- did have di- diet supervision, so they okay. were on a 500 deficit calorie, and they were exercising 150 minutes a week. But still, the people in the double-blind study who did not take the medicine only lost 2 to 3.1% of their wow. body weight versus the other people who lost the 9 diet, lost 15 to 20% of their so body weight. So we may have found the cure for cancer and the cure to well, obesity. Well, obesity I think, rampant I think, in the United States I right think now, that so that's it's important. Great. Medicine is is moving at lightning speed, it looks like, Doctor. Speaking of lightning speed. Because Americans invest in research and development. Is it a plane? (laughs) Is it a bird? It's John Katz It's Dr. Mikos. Dr. (laughs) Mikos. 
Well, thank you. Great news. And uh, th- thank you, uh, Judge Weinberg. Thank you, uh, Craig Eaton and Lydia, my sidekick. And we stand for what? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and, and the, the American, American way. way. God bless and God bless uh, uh, our country and God bless the world because we need a blessing right now. Thank you so much.